off. Um, welcome officially, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Kelly Agrito, and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, if you don't already know us, Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists, and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. We do this in one of two ways. Well, two ways, really. We have our services arm at Great Data Minds Innovation Labs, and this is where we do our strategic planning, education, and the deployment of critical data projects. Um, and then we also create content and host uh, great events, just like what we are going to do today with some of our transformational thought leaders that we have on the line. A uh, little bit of housekeeping. This, of course, is a webinar, so your cameras and your microphones are off. Um, but we do welcome conversation and questions in the chat throughout the session. Uh, we'll also leave a little bit of time at the end of our talk today for a more formal Q&A if you want to hold your thoughts until after the demo. So without any further ado, we are excited to join hands officially in this public format for the first time with Privitar, a game-changing modern data provisioning platform. Repping the Privitar team, we have Stephen Taubman. Stephen has made an excellent career out of being just totally obsessed with data and metadata and how to use them both safely and ethically. He has extensive global data experience and is currently running the show as the chief of product and strategy uh, at Privitar. And then also joining us today from the Privitar UK office is Nilesh Parmar. Nilesh is the senior sales engineer at Privitar, and he sits in that very sweet spot between helping organizations minimize their risk and achieve regulatory compliance while freeing them up to use advanced analytics, AI, and ML to extract the maximum value from their sensitive personal data. And of course, the last beautiful face we see on the line today is our very own Mike Lampa. He is our Chief Analytics Officer here at Great Data Minds and GDM Innovation Labs. Mike has got a boatload of strategic and practical data experience, uh, both as an enterprise user and as a consultant. And so with all that said, Mike, the floor is yours. Please do take it away. Well, thank you, Kaylee. I'm wondering if it's a barge load these days. Anyway. <laughs> Stephen Nilesh, welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Good, good. Enjoying Boston. Nice. Enjoying Boston. Hit one of my favorite cities. I'm enjoying Dallas. Not really. Okay. Um, so, guys, I've got this thought, and I've been, I've been pondering it. It's like the, the data and analytics industry, it's gone through yet another ever-growing, like, perfect storm. <clears throat> On the one hand, we've got the, the, the regulators are getting tough and they're putting teeth behind it uh, with these uh, new regulations coming out and that have been rolling out uh, for you know, the last five or so years around data privacy. And now there's a big focus on, I'm seeing a lot of bills going through the process of uh, being presented and passed with a focus on data ethics around machine algorithms. So, and so things are getting tough yet on the other side of the coin, the business community, I mean, they, they are doubling down. They want to get on the road to their digital transformation. They're seeing all the other companies being so successful at it. And along with that, there's this, un, this demand for unbridled access to self-service platforms and the ability to democratize and even monetize their data. Right? And then you got the enterprise risk, um, um, compliance risk and governance uh, teams that are in the crossfire. How do I enable the business to truly scale up yet? How do I protect our assets? You know? So how do you do that? And, and moreover, even if I get that figured out, 
how do I possibly stay on top of all these bills that are being passed, right? So that's my question to you, gentlemen, right? And yep. I would love, Steve, to hear your, your thoughts and maybe show us how I can do that. Absolutely. Um, and Proto was founded in 2014 and you know, right at the classic storm of you know, the Cambridge Analytical scandals. So suddenly people had privacy front of mind. Um, when they, uh, Jason and John originally founded the company, they really looked at this and said, you know, privacy is going to become such a serious issue. Um, at the same time, I was actually, you know, um, at uh, Cloudera. So I spent six years prior to this at Cloudera and just traveling the world and, and just seeing these use cases, which um, they were certainly cutting edge, but, you know, they were right on the border of kind of what Gartner calls that creepy line, right? So mm. and once you cross the creepy line with a customer, like you, you never get to go back. Um, the regulations have just got more intense. Also, from the industry as a whole, I think, <clears throat> and this sort of started two years ago with COVID, but two years ago, people were like, definitely, they were aware that privacy was important, and they would nod their heads. Now we see it as a real barrier. Um, we were actually at the Ghana showdown in Florida last week, and, uh, you know, just casually chatting to, to customers, you know, on average, you know, it's, it's 20 to 30 days it takes to get internal sign off to go after a use case. That's all you even start thinking about trying to access the data. It's going through the legal team, the compliance team, you know, can we really use data legally? And, and, and ethics is just the next step in that. Um, so if there's that barrier to even start mapping out the process, because you know, to some degree, you know, cloud vendors and others have made it much more accessible for data from a sort of technology perspective, but that legal and, and compliance piece really is the challenge. Um, <clears throat> and that was on the low end of the scale. I mean, you know, sort of big banks, it can be 30 to 60 days. Mm. And that's just to start the process getting access there. So you go ask for a data set. It takes 30 days to get sign off. Then you spend 30 days building the access because there are you know, tools you have to DID the data. Then you get the data set and you realize it completely doesn't fit what you wanted because that's your first time to see it. And then you go back through the cycle again. Um, in many companies, that that time alone would kill the value of the use case. Mm -hmm. So they want to move, you know, you know, quickly. They want to create a new revenue stream. They want to target, you know, a certain type of customer. Um, and certainly, what I've learned is is that in this space, the deepest insights tend to come from the most sensitive data. If you think about how you join data sets across systems, it tends to be around sort of customer or product from a sort of MDM perspective, and the privacy concerns focus a lot on that sort of customer piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Perfect storm yeah, is happening. Yeah. It is. Visibility. It is. It's insane. And we're out there pushing. It's like self-service. You got to implement a self-service model, a well-conceived self-service model that has all the checks and balances in it, but it has to be, it's got to be agile. It's got to yeah. be nimble, right? And it has to be secure. So um, I'm really excited to uh, see and hear the rest of the story. And I'm sure our audience is as well. Um, when you guys first showed up um, and we started talking, I, I remember scratching my head. I was like, where does this fit? And then um, uh, one of the subsequent meetings, I think I, I had with Bill and uh, he said, well, it's a modern data provisioning platform. I went, oh, brilliant, brilliant. Because that's what we're trying to get to with this enablement of self-service and data democratization. So let's see what you guys got. Awesome. And we're very specific about our kind of landing spot. So 
you know, we're not trying to go into the data governance space. There are, you know, way too many tools there already. We're not trying to go into the catalog space. But if you imagine, you know, the way you work today, you know, if you go to Amazon and you put all your items into your, you know, shopping list, imagine if then the next step was you had to contact each individual supplier and negotiate for the delivery of that data. Um, whereas really what you want is you want Amazon Prime, you want to click a button and have the data turn up, you know, you know very soon, like ideally in the next hour. Um, that's what we're doing. Modern data provisioning is about, you know, taking that last step, that last mile, but allowing to you to be completely compliant with all the regulations. So um, as mentioned, Prioritar started in 2014. And from the beginning, there's been this focus on using data safely and ethically across your organization, but also beyond as well. As you mentioned, data monetization starts at home, but there's also the capacity to sort of monetize that data by sharing it externally. And in, in this space, there's a lot of focus on data meshes, data fabrics, you know, but data ops, you know, you're looking for timely access to data, democratized visibility across a broad set of available sources. You want that data to be compliant. Um, in, in many cases, compliance is, you know, the, the whole way of doing this is if they're not allowed to share it, you just delete those particular columns, but that deletes the usefulness of data. So it's a balance between making it compliant and safe but also maintaining the utility and usefulness of that data set. And, you know, from our side, modern data provisioning combines the people, the process and the technology to enable that, you know, usage of data responsibly and effectively as well. Um, just at a high level, we talk about sort of three sort of user, user roles. Um, so the data consumers, these are people, whether they be data scientists, they be analytics teams or just operational teams, that want to use data to solve a business use case. Data is nothing without a use case to solve it. You know, if you're storing data and it doesn't have a use case, you know, you, you know, you've got to match those two together. The data owners inside the organization are the people that own those data assets. They want to bring benefit. They will use them for a, a specific use case, like an operational store, but they see the greater value across the organization. And then the guardians, the guardians are the neglected group. Uh, the guardians of the compliance team, the regulatory team, the governance team. But the most important thing is about having a single point where these three groups can collaborate. It's not done by email and Google Sheets. It's auditable. It's a single meta store that links all these together. Um, and that's what we built. Um, so we kind of talk through a workflow where you have various data sources coming in. Um, the data owner will go through and register the asset. Um, then there's a policy management piece, which we'll, now, we'll show you. The policies are all powerful. They're the most critical part of the system. We embed a, a full approval and workflow layer, so we're embedding a workflow engine. And then the policies, which are designed at the logical layer, so you're not doing this at the physical column layer, you're doing it at the data class level. And then providing access is self-service view, so literally those data consumers can come in, shop for data, but you know, with the Amazon example, not just shop for data and put it in their basket, but then have it delivered immediately. So they can immediately you know, assign it to the use case, see if it's the right fit, or go back and renegotiate with the data owner and the guardian for the right, right asset in the right way. Um, a couple of key concepts here are important. So the first is context. Context is how we design the policies. The idea of conditional logic, so the ability to build up access policies and transformation policies based on this very simple but scalable logic. And then the underlying transformations. One of the acronyms you'll hear people use is PETS or Privacy Enhancing Technology. So Privata from the start invested a lot in this area. 
doing this at scale when you've got customers like Discovery that are doing billions of rows and transactions through the system on a daily basis. It's really got to scale, but also maintain consistency and other pieces. Um, <clears throat> when we look at context, a couple of key pieces here. So we look at identity, the identity of the user or the team, legislation, the regulations that need to be applied. Um, we actually just, as a startup, did our first uh, acquisition. So about uh, four weeks ago now, we acquired a company called Core Moon to provide that regulatory intelligence for 48 different sovereign domains. We look at location, source data location, processing location, target data location, and consumer location. We look at the purpose or the intent of the usage and obviously the contents itself. This is all metadata that is used to blend together to build policies. And that gives you that, you know, what, you know, where, who of, of these pieces. And the conditional logic seems very simple and it's easy to understand, but it's very scalable. So you can look at, for example, if your purpose is this, then transform the data in this way. If your location is this, or you can do a combination of these. And I mentioned this earlier, but the transformations that you apply, um, you know, I, I, I've spent 20 years in this space, um, you know, doing complex transformations, but from a privacy preserving standpoint, so making sure that an individual cannot be identified within a data set, you need a broad set of these. People will focus on things like differential privacy, uh, which is, you know, using things like generalization to get there. Um, but there's a broad set of these capabilities that we've built out. Um, the company originally started doing this at scale in Spark on big data clusters, but have added streaming and other components. So we plug into Kafka and all these other pieces, but that broad set of pets or process enhancing technology is the critical piece. And we continue to lead there. So we're right at the cutting edge of where that technology is going. And just a very quick view of architecture. So um, all container-based, um, we separate between the data plane and the control plane. The data plane is where your sensitive data exists. We have different policy enforcement points inside the data plane. Um, we can run on all the major cloud providers and on-premise as well. A lot of customers start on-premise, move data to the cloud, they mask and encrypt, and they actually use the dynamic layer we have to DID, you know, to, to, to re-ID and then DID again. But the control plane above the line, that's all metadata. So customers will often have a single control plane and then multiple data planes. You've got the centralized policy lifecycle piece. You've got a workflow engine in there and different user experiences for each of those different roles. So um, I'm, I'm very keen, obviously, to get Nilesh to sort of show you the, uh, the demo, but just some broad concepts. So we have different enforcement points. We have data-centric protection. Um, so this is regardless of the downstream target, we make sure that we change the data so it's safe to consume. And then we do access-centric protection. So this is called policy on read. So you enforce the policy per user, per query coming through. So each individual user is evaluated to see, are they allowed to do this? You then take the SQL, modify it. So it's all through a proxy layer. But the combination of the two, it's what, what's really critical. It means that you can put the protection as close as possible to the data source. So you do what's called data minimization, and you're not sort of schlepping sort of sensitive data across your, your organization as little as possible. Um, the company, right from the beginning, invested in technology called watermarking, which is the ability to hide inside the data set itself, a hidden signal, you can then extract the signal from the data. So the data becomes a lineage tool itself. Um, so you're not just relying on the metadata linkage between the different tools, you can actually track the data. So if your data set turns up somewhere it shouldn't, whether because of a breach or just you know a slight mistake on a user part, you can pick it up 
extract the watermark per column and see the last time it passed through a processor. And then, um, you know, we, we maintain referential integrity or destroy referential integrity between data sets. So if you give a data set to one team and another team, you can avoid them doing sort of uh, linkage attacks or so-called toxic combinations through those different data sets. And right at the end, like right at the beginning, you saw that bold statement, which is we want to protect 100% of data. We obviously as a company started with structured data, but really we've been investing heavily in unstructured. So we have a component called privacy for chat, which allows you to take short form text like chat, live chat messages, recognize the sensitive data inside it, and then DID it, but keep it consistent with your structured data as well. I apologize, I'm, I'm speaking, uh, speaking quickly in a sort of British American accent, but I'm gonna pass to the and let him with his uh, finesse uh, British accent you know, go through and actually share the product. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank, thanks, Steve. Can you see my slides? Yes, we sure can. Good. Okay, so hi guys, I'm um, I'm Nilesh Palmer. I'm going to be highlighting some of those key capabilities of the Privatar platform to you. Um, so just to set this up, I'm going to show you how the platform can protect and provision data in different ways, depending upon the context of the user, as, as Steve just mentioned. So we can protect data based upon things like where the user is located, what user group they belong to, for what purpose, you know, do they want to access this data and so on. So in this case, for this use case, uh, the marketing team require a restricted view of this customer data. And that's in order to plan their next marketing campaign. And the finance team need full access to the data because they need to perform an audit on the customers that have already been sold to. So I'm going to cover how we can shop for data, how we can protect data, and how we can share and provision data through the platform in a really efficient way. Now, before um, I go into the demo, just to kind of set up the demo flow, uh, we're going to start off with the data consumer going through that shop for data experience. We are then going to move on to the data guardian persona and we'll have a look under the covers and how we can actually protect data. And then we'll finish off with a data owner and how that data owner or application owner, when they have this kind of new shiny piece of data, how can they actually share it uh, with the rest of the organization so that the data consumers can then use it for their analysis. Okay. So let's start off in the platform with the data consumer and the shop for data experience. Okay, so here I am as an analyst in the platform, so it could be a marketing user. And if I'm looking for data, then I need to go to the data exchange. Now, within the data exchange, I can see all of those data assets that are relevant to me and my role. So what I'm seeing here is role specific. So if I was a marketing user, okay, I'm only seeing those things that, are, that I have permissions to see. Now, in this case, I am looking for data sets that will help me to plan my next marketing campaign and the custom order history data set. So all of these things we're seeing here are data sets, uh, looks like the one which is going to be relevant to me. Now, um, data sets are simply ways of being able to group and organize related pieces of data together. Okay. So in this case, this is everything to do with custom order histories, which is going to help me for planning my next uh, uh, marketing campaign. Now, I've got various metadata on the various tables that are contained within this data set. So there are two tables in this data set, the customers table and the orders table. This is the metadata related to them. And as a data consumer, as a marketing user in this case, if I'm interested in using this customer's data, 
and I think that's what I need to use, I can confirm that by drilling down into that table and seeing what fields they contain, you know, how those data fields have been classified. And taking a quick look down here, I can see that this contains customer information and that looks perfect for the analysis that I need to do. Now, if I want to use that piece of data, all I need to do is to add that to my project, which you can think of as a data shopping basket. Okay, so I add that to my customer analytics shopping basket and I'm done. Now, at this point, I've only selected one table. Of course, there's probably there would probably be more data that I'd want to add to this shopping basket for my analysis. In this case, the orders um, table, because that's got also that will also have interesting information. So I can drill down into that if I want to. And if it's useful, I can add it to my project. That same project over there. So again, you can think of this as a data shopping basket. Add it to that project and we are done. So now what I can do, I can go back to that shopping basket that I've just uh, put all my, all my goodies in. Um, it's this customer analytics shopping basket. I can view uh, the tables or the data that I've added in this case. And I just need to submit that for approval. So when I submit that for approval, this now kicks off that workflow process, which is running through the platform. And this is being routed through to the data guardian who can then take that request and either approve it or decline access to that data for me. If that request is approved, then I get sent a link through which I can access the data. And if it's declined, well, then it gets declined and I get a reason for why that was declined. So if we just um, take a step back, that was me coming in as a data consumer, in this case, in a marketing team, looking for data uh, within the data exchange. So you can think of this data exchange as a shop front for all of the data that's contained within your applications, various applications and systems across the organization. So I went through, I searched for that data, okay? I drilled down into a particular data set, added that data to my shopping basket, checked out that shopping basket, and now that's been approved or de declined. If it's approved, I get sent that link to view my data. Okay. We also have a search function over here, which makes it super easy to search for data. And we can organize all of these different data sets with tags. Um, so you can then organize those data sets by subject area or by, by vertical or whatever makes sense to you. Uh, that just helps you to find the data. Okay, so that is, I'll just go back to the slides. That's how easy it is for a data consumer to go into the exchange, search for the data they want, and find the data they need for their analysis. Okay, so now there is, we've got rid of that complex approval process that typically exists within organizations. Data consumers also don't typically know where to go to get access to the data. They're not sure of the sign-off process, and then you know, that can take days, months, sometimes. And then you know, when it's taking that long, the time has kind of even passed to have that analytics done. And by the time you've done the analytics, it's, it's almost not worth it. So we really help to speed up that time to save data with uh, the PrivileGeR platform. So now we've covered how we can shop for data really easily as a data consumer. Let's move on to the data guardian persona and see how we can actually protect data using the policies within the Privitar platform. Okay, so if I was a data guardian in the platform and I needed to manage how these different teams, in this case, the marketing and the finance team should view the data, then I need to go to the policies section. 
So policies are those things that are protecting your data. They can restrict or allow access to data. And with Privatar, we have both access control policies and transformation policies, or what's also known as privacy policies. And both of these are performed at the logical layer. Okay? So let's take a look at some of these policies and see how they work. Now, remember, these, these policies can be layered on top of each other to give you real, a really good uh, set of controls as to who can see what. So let's start off at the top level with these uh, jurisdictional access control policies. So let's um, let, let's take a look at this one, the US one. Okay, so this policy is saying if you are a user located in the United States of America and you are part of the marketing or finance team, then you can have access to data, but only US customer data. Okay, whereas if you are based in the UK, so the condition is if the location is the UK and you are part of the marketing or finance team within the UK, yes, you can have access to customer data, but only UK customer records. Okay? So a higher level access policy control like this can sit across all of your applications and systems if that's what you need it to do. Okay? And it can also help to keep data contained within those um, regions, within those jurisdictions, if that's what you need it to do. And there's a couple of other things I want to point out here. Okay? These um, access control policies are conditional. So under these conditions, you are we are essentially using if then else statements or conditions, which means you can add a level of intelligence as to how these policies can be applied. Additionally, we can create multiple filters against lots of different conditions to allow you to create really powerful policies that can encompass all of those things that are important to you. And again, these are all being performed at the logical layer. So that was the first access control policy, a top level one, which is taking into account you know, uh, the geography and jurisdictions uh, that may be important for your organization. So if we go one level down now, this is looking now at the, it's still an access control policy, but it's looking at the user groups. So the first rule is saying, if you are a part of the analytics or marketing team and the purpose for which you want to access the data is customer analysis, then yes, you can have access to that customer data, but only where that customer has opted in for the data to be used for that purpose. Whereas if you are a part of the finance team okay, or the data science team and the purpose for which you want to access this data is fraud, in my case, it's an audit, or anti-money laundering, then yes, you can have access to all customer data, not just where they have opted in. So that first access control policy was looking at the jurisdictions and the locations of the user. The next one then breaks that down a level further, looking at the different user groups and the purposes behind which you want to access the data. And then we can layer on a final uh, level of uh, transformational policies to protect the data even further. So if we take a look at this, policy over here, what this is saying is, and there are two rules within this uh, transformation policy, there are two rules, and the first rule is for the marketing team. So it's saying if the data has been tagged as containing personal information, which it does, and you're a part of the marketing team, and the purpose for which you want to access the data is customer analysis, then we want to drop the account information from the data set, because that's not something the marketing team needs to have access to. Okay. It's not useful 
for the purpose of planning their next campaign. And it's also something they should they just shouldn't be able to see. We want to uh, mask the account number and replace that with a set of stars. We want to drop the address information, but we do want to keep the regional information because the regional information is going to help them in planning their next campaign and where it should be. Okay? So you can see for each of those different fields within that data set, we can apply a different privacy technique um, to ensure that the data is not only protected, but the data set is also as usable um, as it can be. Okay, So with Privital, we also help you to balance that uh, or find that right balance of privacy and utility of the data. Okay? And remember, all of this is being performed again at the logical layer. What I'm not doing over here is saying, okay, we have a privacy rule over here and I want to apply this privacy rule to this physical field. That is possible and that does have its place, but what we are able to do with this platform is to say, hey, okay, let's do all of this at the logical layer, which will, which is not only super flexible and it's a lot faster to create the rules, but what it also allows us to do is it protects us from, from things like underlying schema changes, because otherwise, if the schema changes and perhaps a field name is changed, that will break the entire rule and we don't want that to happen. Okay? So all of this is being performed at the logical layer. So that first rule for the marketing team is it's kind of restrictive in terms in, in the sense that it's restricting the personal information and any information that the marketing team shouldn't be privy to. Whereas if we go down to the finance team, this rule is saying if you're a part of the analytics or, or finance team in this case, and the data has been tagged as containing personal information and the purpose behind which you want to access this data is for fraud and anti-money laundering purposes or auditing, auditing kind of purposes, then we want to retain all of those fields within the data set because we need those to be able to perform our job effectively, whether that's an audit or doing this for anti-crime purposes, we need to have access to all of that data. So these are the policies and the kinds of policies we can create. In this example, I've layered on three policies, but it can be more, it can be less. It's that, that's entirely up to you. Um, they are conditional policies based upon uh, logical constructs. Okay? Now, I've created these policies, but how does this actually look within an end user tool? So I have got an end user tool over here. I've got Tableau. So now we're in Tableau. We're looking at Tableau, not Privitar. And I have come in and logged on as uh, using my marketing profile. Okay. So when I look down at the data, I can see the regional information. Okay. So I can see, see the state information, the city information. But you'll notice now that the first name, the last name, the email address, the phone number, all of that personal information has been protected according to those rules I create. I said in the policy earlier. Okay. Uh, I can obviously see the. Uh, the the order amounts because that's useful for me and I can use that to plan where I should be targeting my next campaign. Now I'm going to flip over to the uh, finance user. Okay, so now this is the finance analyst and yes they can see the regional information as could the marketing user but now we also allow them to be able to see the personal information because that is relevant information for a for an audit Okay, that, that I need to perform or for anti-crime for whatever those kind of purposes are. Okay? Um, so you can see that we are not using, uh, sorry, we're not losing the utility in either case. Okay? The, obviously the finance team has a bit more utility because they can see more of those attributes within the data. 
but that's by design okay that's what we've designed in the policy but that's kind of gives you a high level view of how that data can then look in an end user tool and i just happen to be using tableau in this case but we can provision that data to whatever tool your your users need to use so this could be for example i did a demo uh, just uh, last week and that demo was using uh, a jupyter notebook within SageMaker. okay so a, a proper data science tool and the data is de-identified and you can run your models in the same way as though you were using the raw date raw kind of um, identifiable data so just to summarize that point so we've looked at how we can shop for data very easily from a data consumer point of view we've seen how the data guardian can now create these powerful policies to protect the data and keep it safe now let's finish off by showing how the data owner can provision and register new data assets on the upon the platform for those data consumers to use okay so back i'm back from the platform and to um to manage this from the data owner perspective we again go back to the data exchange because that is now this central hub where not only the data consumers come to search for data but it's also where the data owners come to register new data assets upon the exchange now let's say this data set that i was working with earlier the customer order history data set let's say you know that was useful for the marketing team um, but there was some additional data they felt they needed to make their analysis complete so i've had a request now to add some additional tables within this data set so the marketing user or any other data consumer can use this data how would i do that as a data owner so to do that i simply need to add an asset and when i add an asset uh Prefetar walks me through this this kind of wizard uh for pointing to where that that new data lives okay so it's the it's the customer's um, table that I need to add, and I'll call this, I'll give this data a name, additional customer data. I can put a good description in there. I can also tag this, um, this new data asset that I'm going to register, okay, and that will help um, make it easier to find uh, when a data consumer is looking for this data to use. So. There are various different kinds of um, tags I can use. Okay, I can put customer data as well, it's account information, and that looks good to me. Now, what I'm doing as a data owner, I'm saying to Privatar, use this connection information, go away, give me the metadata for that table so I can then start the process of registering this new data asset on the exchange. Now, Privatar has come back and it said, okay, these are the fields and the data types within this particular table. Okay. So that looks good to me. Now, if I didn't have a tool like Privitar, what I'd be doing as a data owner now is thinking, well, okay, somebody's asked me to share this data, but how can I, can I, how can I be sure that I'm going to be sharing this data safely? And according to the policies that have been set uh, by the organization, and how do I know, I, maybe I shouldn't even be sharing this data. So we take all of that kind of away with Privitar, okay? because as a data owner now, all I need to do is say, see that, okay, we have a city field or an address field uh, within this data set, and all I need to do is classify that data. Okay? So I can come over here and I can say, okay, this looks like address information to me. I can see customer identifier. Okay? 
I just need to classify that data. Oops. Customer, it's a customer number, type of customer number. So you may be thinking, well, okay, you're classifying this data, but what does that mean? What it means is by simply adding these classifications to these physical field names, I am actually protecting the data according to the policies that have been set by the guardians, the data guardians within the platform. Because if you recall earlier, when I showed you those policies, okay, each of these um, data classes have uh, privacy rules assigned to them already okay, in the background. So by me simply going through and classifying this data, I am automatically protecting it in a super easy and efficient way according to all of the policies and regulations that have been set by the data guardians, by the organization. So I know as a data owner, I can register this data in a, in a safe way really quickly and confidently. So you can imagine I'd go through the rest of those. I can register that. And now within this data set, I have this additional customer data available for those data consumers to now use. So that takes me, let me go back to the slides. That takes me kind of to the end of this demonstration. We've seen how easy it is for a data consumer to shop for data using the platform. We've seen how easy it is for a data guardian to create intelligent policies at the logical layer so that they can protect data according to the regulations that have been set down and laid down by the organization. And we've seen how a data owner can very easily go in and register new data upon the platform, uh, uh, again, at the logical layer, using the data classifications, which have policies um, privacy policies protect them under the covers to ensure that the data is being shared and registered on the platform in a safe and efficient way. So that takes me to the end of my demonstration. I'm going to hand back to, to Steve and Mike to, to finish this off. Thank you, <clears throat> you Nilesh. That was awesome. So we, had, we did have one question that came in and Steve, you, you did answer it, but uh, maybe want to recap the question and the, and the answer? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the question that came in is, um, it, this is Tableau connected to Privatar to access the data <clears throat> and Privatar enforces the policies dynamically on the data that is in turn retrieved from the underlying data store. And then uh, it was Chip and do I have that right? So yes, Chip, you have that right. Um, Nilesh was delivering the dynamic access layer. So we have both, it's often called static, I just, Static is such a horrible word because the static layer also includes sources like Kafka, which is a streaming source, but it's it's how the analysts, for example, call it. They call it static masking and dynamic masking. Um, we're the only vendor to do both. Um, we grew up doing static at scale. And then with the one data provisioning platform, we've added dynamic and you can layer the two together. <clears throat> so for example, there's a large globally systemically important bank that is using it where all of their data is on premise. They move to the cloud. They move to two cloud providers simultaneously. So they have standards around masking and encryption, both together of all data sets. And then once it's in the cloud, they use the dynamic layer to unmask or re-ID and then de-ID again, depending on the user and the use case. So it's a combination of the two, but as you've seen, the policies are very simple, but the policies can be then applied in different enforcement layers. Okay, different deployment options. Yeah, you know, I have kind of a follow-up question. You know, so let's you know playing off of the the, uh, um, uh, the technology stack that customers have, and I mean, some of them have every technology known to mankind, right? But most customers have more than one BI tool, 
they're dabbling with more than one data catalog. They're trying to get into machine learning. So, and, and the customers that we've seen that are um, implementing the likes of ventilation data catalog, there's an enormous amount of investment that has gone into defining these policies inside of that, of that catalog. Um, and something I observed is Alation also allows you to query from the data catalog against the data set, right? Yep. That, that, that the, uh, Alation, uh, the policy within Alation has granted me access to look at it. But one thing I, I, I noticed as part of that is actually two things, two observations I noticed is that policy is only being enforced when I'm using Alation as the BI client to look at the data, right? And then yep. the other the other thing I noticed is they had an export function. So once I got my data set back, I could export it and do whatever I wanted. So that just lost the purview of relation. Yep. So my question is, if I've already got an environment like that, a lot of customers do, have been putting a lot of this effort in, um, what does it take? How long does it take to operationalize and or integrate where, let's, for example, I might come out saying, I want to define the policies in relation because we built our whole workflow around that, yeah. but but I'm having a challenge enforcing. Can you give give us a feel for what it would take to integrate uh, an operational prepotire yeah. kind of environment? And also, just to be very clear and reinforce, you know, what I said at the beginning, <clears throat> we're not trying to go into the catalog space. There's way too many data catalogs, and as you see, <laughs> most customers have the struggle of either they've got too many or the other extreme, which is they've got none. Um, so, you know, um, but in cases where they have, you know, Alation, um, Calibra, Data.World, you know, the, the list goes on. We've built a very flexible system. Whereas if you've defined a policy in a third-party store, so you've tagged all your data um, with, you know, terms, you've uh, defined what is sensitive as well, um, we can obviously ingest that. So we take those in and drive them into our policies. <clears throat> our policies have the additional layer of not just saying, is there a checkbox of differential privacy on or off? But as you've seen, those actual privacy functions that can be applied. So we map them across. What's really interesting as well is obviously with the Core Moon acquisition, we allow you to sort of say, if my use case is here, my you know, my, my vertical is this, so I'm, my use case is sourcing data here, targeting it here, processing it here. I'm in the financial services vertical and I'm in this sovereign region. We can tell you specifically which sub pieces of the regulation and the compliance piece you need to be worried about and then drive that into the policy as well. So we've got interesting metadata that can obviously be driven into those third-party tools as well. But if you want to use that third-party tool as the sort of policy broker on the sort of, you know, the golden policy store, we can then drive it in and we can do all the enforcement. And that's the mm -hmm. thing that we won't have, which is they may be able to do blanket yes or no, uh, or sort of ABAC um, <clears throat> can do RBAC, which is, you know, row-based and then, you know, purpose-based, so PBAC as well. <clears throat> it's the enforcement piece and the flexibility of enforcement. So as you said earlier, I mean, many people have a wide variety of tools. We find the dynamic layer is very useful for um, certain types of query users. And when they're first getting access to a data set, <clears throat> they want to see, is this a good thing to put into my Jupyter notebook? We then actually find that the static layer where you can produce a much larger data set. So let's say you're a bank, you're going to do some anti-money laundering modeling, you know, you're going to build a, an ML model. You're going to need to keep that trained data set for six to seven years, so it's seven for compliance reasons. So we can do that as well. And we, we get involved in some pretty interesting use cases around 
things like Right to Be Forgotten and sort of archival as well. So there's many, many organizations will have a retention period. They want to keep data for a certain period. They want to maintain the analytic value of the data after that period, but don't want to maintain the primary identifiers. So we have you know, mechanisms for doing those things. The whole mm -hmm. system is built very flexibly. Enduring has a sort of API first. So everything you do in the UIs are all driven through APIs. So it's very easy to plug in, you know, any one of those other data catalogs or government tools. And then <clears throat> also the round trip piece. So, you know, full auditability of, of everything we do. Mm -hmm. There you go. So um, let's, let's do a little follow on to that. What, what if I also have been dabbling around with the likes of a starburst, you know, trying to implement a kind of a data mesh um, yep. ecosystem? Um, again, how long was, you know, what's the effort to get to value from Privatech? So uh, really interestingly, like we, we obviously not trying to do the virtualization layer, like tools like Starburst, Denodo, there's a composite, there's a broad set of tools in that space. Um, but we see customers plug, plug them into the, the bank I mentioned earlier is actually using, you know, a virtualization layer. Um, in that case, it's Denodo um, to deliver across the bank, you know, their, their sort of common access layer. And then mm -hmm. we're doing all the policy enforcement per region. So what that means is the virtualization layer, you know, only gets to see what, you know, is you know, allowed from that particular region and the data never leaves the region. So we, they actually pass the query down to us. We then take the query and say, is this user allowed to see this? We, do we take the location data, for example, and then we actually modify the, the SQL going to the store. So the, the, the SQL, the data never even leaves a store. And then we bring it back up and then on the way through, we do further, um, we apply those privacy enhancing tech tech pieces to, to further protect the data. So it's very flexible. We, we get plugged into those virtualization layers a lot. Um, and also to some degree, you see those virtualization layers starting a little bit to add almost like a logical view as well, which is very complementary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Stephen, you mentioned Core Moon. Could we visit on that a little bit more? Did, did I pick up a signal there that Core Moon has become, is a service that enables me to stay current with all these, the changing landscape of regulations? Yeah, totally. So, um, and, and candidly, we tried to build this. So we have a, a policy team and we've got a lot of expertise in, in this space, you know, having been doing this since 2014, um, we initially tried to build it. So we, we wanted to effectively have sort of content packs where you could say, hey, if I'm trying to be compliant with this regulation, what do I need to do? But the first step is to know what regulation applies. Mm -hmm. um, so we first saw the common stuff. The founder was actually an ex uh, uh, reformed lawyer from a major bank, um, but had actually done some initial work where his, you know, his whole reason for founding the company is he had been mapping out all the different regulatory policies that apply around the world for a law firm. And he kind of turned it into a, a website, which many people use. And he realized that the next step is not just the regulation and knowing there's a regulation, but knowing what to do about it and making that repeatable. So mm -hmm. today, every lawyer that sees a regulation will interpret it in slightly different way. The idea of the repeatability to so be able to document the case, which is here's what I'm going to use and actually get, you know, here's, here's the sub piece of the regulation you need to worry about. Here's what you need to remediate. And then our goal is obviously bringing Cormoon in to then ultimately drive this to automation of policies. So we want that you know, regulatory, regulatory compliance object to just be another metadata object that people discuss. So today you'll have people discuss and have visibility into a business term. So you'll be able to say, 
you know, high value customer and everyone can then see what a high value customer is and what it means, the same should be the case for these regulations and compliance pieces, which is here's what you're trying to be compliant with, here's how to remediate against it. And then as you said, here's a new regulation that's starting to evolve, right? So there's some really interesting stuff going on in Canada right now that we really customers <laughs> want to match into. But we want to basically you know, bring all this into the light. These discussions happen way too much in email threads, Slack threads, you know, Google Sheets. And then when the regulator suddenly says, why on earth did you give this data to this person? What about this regulation? You've got complete coverage. You can actually say, here's why, here's what we did. Here's the remediation. Here's the policy that was applied. Here are the users that asked for that data. Here's where we put the data. Here's where we provisioned it. So That's brilliant. You know, it takes me, I, I'm thinking back in the beginning of my career. So this is early 80s. Um, yes, early 80s. Um, I was working in the banking industry and it, it kind of reminds me of the, the old Vertex tax service where you had to keep track of all the different taxes across all the jurisdictions and states. And they provided that as a service that you could integrate. Yeah. And it sounds like you're heading down that same brilliant approach for the regulations. Love it. Yeah, I mean, we, we do see this as, it is um, honestly a very difficult area and it's the real time suck in these organizations today. I mean, it's there really is no technical barrier to sharing data. You can spin up Snowflake, you can stick, you know, your favorite virtualization layer on top, you can load data in, you can do that in, you know, hours. But mm -hmm. all these companies, it's not whether they can technically do it, it's whether they can legally do it, right? Getting mm -hmm. approval to go through that process that's what's killing these projects. And then beyond that, we're already seeing customers because we capture things like intent, you know, the ethics of a use case is dependent on the ethics of using a particular data set and the ethics of that particular use case. And that is super, you know, kind of sort of custom, right? So every mm -hmm. country, every company has a slightly different view of what is ethical and those differ based on the use case, right? So it's it really interesting, really fast. But the ability to sort of bring some guidance to that, so that you know, Comun gives us that regulatory compliance guidance, effectively that intelligence around that piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I really love that approach. I got one more question. Uh, I think we're getting close on time. Yeah, during uh, Nilesh, when you did the demo, you talked about a couple of roles: the data owner and the uh, um, I'll just call it the information consumer, if you will. Um, what about the role, a lot of companies work, working with around governance implementations are pretty heavy into the data steward role, which kind of is a hybrid of, of the uh, data owner slash data guardian type role. Um, how do, do you support the ability to create additional kinds of persona roles? Sorry, Steve, do you want to take that? So in terms of combination of roles, um, it's interesting. So we, we've kind of guided a lot of the experience around those specific pieces, but mm -hmm. everything we do, the sort of subcomponents that each of the roles do, um, there's a workflow engine that we embed as well. So you could actually break out specific pieces. We've, we've already done that um, in the lab, but at this point, you know, those, those broad roles have worked kind of well, but I can see we've designed the system in such that those sub pieces can be broken out. Also, we expect customers, um, once they you know, build beyond the kind of basic workflows, to then come back and want to plug into more sophisticated compliance workflows internally. 
So we built the system flexibly for those. But right now, like uh, the, the workflows we've provided seem to match well with most customer requirements. So not yet, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's, it's baked in such that we can handle it. Um, <clears throat> and the, the way that these policies evolve is getting pretty interesting too, right? So we're seeing customers where a lot of policies are being generated and then they're looking for how they evolve over time. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, like like any company, we have a, a busy roadmap of stuff we want to do, um, but there's some really interesting pieces in there. Yeah. You know, at this point, you know, the, the user roles we have seem to match pretty well with what customers want. They have actually basically asked for renaming them. That seems to be one of the simple things they may call what we call, you know, a data owner, something different. So we're starting there but the sub pieces are all kind of designed to be pluggable. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so I, I do always get asked, um, you, you, you guys are, you found an incredible gap in my opinion, and it's kind of, you know, it's a highly specialized um, gap that you're closing for us. So who is your main competitor or competitors? Who are your main competitors? So there's kind of, there's a couple of buckets of competitors, right? So there's, um, legacy sort of um, vendors like um, Protegrity, Voltage and others that has a sort of a particular approach, much more focused about, you know, one, one type of masking. Um, then you've got newer vendors, like we certainly see Immuta, uh, Privacera, you know, vendors like that, um, smaller guys like Akira as well, who are um, focused on the dynamic layer. Um, what's interesting is, is that, um, you know, and we, you know, full, full visibility, we started as a European startup. So we've really you know, focused on Europe initially. Um, then with the pandemic, we were about to come into the US and obviously with the pandemic sort of, you know, we're, we're careful to just take our time. We've now set up an office in Boston. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a footprint here. We've already sort of closed a bunch of accounts. So you'll start seeing us a lot more in the US as well um, mm -hmm. as we kind of, you know, move across. But um, interestingly enough, we're seeing like, as a startup, it's great. Like the, the amount of proof of concepts we're tracking is crazy. But what's really interesting is the amount of POCs we're seeing where customers are doing a single vendor POC, where they've tried or looked at the other technology and they either focus on the dynamic piece or they focus on the static piece, but they don't do both. And mm -hmm. anyone who's done this knows that a dynamic layer with large volumes of data is really going to struggle. Equally, the static piece requires, you know, is, is not user-centric. So it, it basically protects the data regardless of the end user. But the combination of the two with a single policy layer is, is very unique. Um, okay. Before you even get into stuff like the watermarking, the stuff we do around protected data domains at scale, the sort of referential integrity pieces, um, those all matter as well. So yes, you know, and to that end, like, and, and the classic answer is always hand coding or trying to build it yourself, we see so many people that try and build it themselves. Um, and that's really funny because, you know, this is, it looks, this space, and I, I like you, I've been in this space a long time. It looks simple. At some level, you're like, oh, I'm just gonna protect the data. Trying to protect an individual amongst the data set while maintaining reference and integrity. And for example, we do this uh, for the NHS, the health service in the UK, when, when the company started, HSBC and the NHS were the first two customers they they they, they started with. Uh, still customers today, and um, yeah, that I think speaks to the merit of you know it, this is very difficult to do well. And if it goes wrong, you know the the regulations, for example, you know are not forgiving. Yeah, the stakes are incredibly high, uh, gentlemen. What an uh, enlightening uh, um, 
uh, presentation and demonstration. Um, it's, I see incredible value to be derived from this product. Yep. yep. This, yeah, this was great. Thank you so much, um, guys. It's definitely to, to echo what uh, Mike is saying, definitely really powerful technology that you have here. Um, and then for all of our uh, attendees, Privatar has been, um, or really later on the viewers of this video, Privatar has been kind enough to offer a, three, a free 30 minute consultation to get uh, specific about what's going on at your company and the challenges and needs that you have on your side to see if they can help you frame up a course of action. Um, so please do connect with us at info at greatdataminds.com if you wanna get one of those conversations started. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for sharing your brain trust. Definitely been eye-opening. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Steven, Nilesh. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody, and thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye, everyone.